0: Gospel chapter number three, and we started last week, and we'll we'll conclude this chapter uh, today. But Luke chapter number three is where we are at, and just a little bit of a a review from last week. We talked about uh, John the Baptist and his ministry of preparing the hearts of people, preaching a message of repentance, and and he was saying to repent. Prepare your hearts to receive the Messiah who is here, who's coming. And so John, we we talked about John the Baptist. He was both humble, but yet he was very bold, right? He was humble, and we'll even see again uh, today when we look at him baptizing uh, Jesus. That account is found in all four Gospels. And when Jesus comes to be baptized of John... We see in in Matthew where where John says, no, I'm in need to be baptized of you. I'm not worthy to baptize you. And we talked about that phrase about where John said about Jesus that he's not worthy to even unlatch his sandal. And we talked about how that was the job of the lowest servant to wash the feet. And, And that was John's attitude of humility. John said, no, Jesus, he should increase And I need to decrease. And this was John's ministry of pointing people to Jesus. And it was that of humility. But at the same time, we see John had a boldness. John was preaching repentance. And he was preaching the same message to everyone. He wasn't catering his message or changing his message based upon who it was or based upon the cost that it would bring. And we see this where John apparently at some point, had confronted or he had preached directly about Herod, one of the regional rulers there, about Herod, that he had taken his brother Philip's wife and divorced his wife, and he took another wife who was his brother's wife who was also related to him in a different way. It's just really evil and and perverted and twisted, but yet apparently at some point, John even calls out Herod and says this isn't lawful this isn't right and even you Herod you need to repent. Well Herod's going to lock John up in prison and eventually out of out of persuasion from Herod's evil new wife and 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 his new wife's daughter um who is gonna uh, Herod's gonna give her um, the? Uh, he's gonna 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 make this crazy outlandish offer to give her half of his kingdom, and probably in 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 uh, alcohol was probably involved in this. This party where this his stepdaughter is dancing before him in a very sensual, evil way, and Herod makes this offer to I'll give you up to half of my kingdom, and so her evil mother. Herod's new wife convinces his her daughter, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist is ultimately going to die because he is preaching an unapologetic message of repentance, and it doesn't matter who you are. So Herod's gonna lock him up in prison. And for primarily for John's boldness of telling him he needs to repent. Also, Josephus sheds some light, who's a first century historian shed some light on it that Herod was fearful at the influence that John the Baptist had. Now, John the Baptist was gathering huge crowds that were coming and listening to his message, and a lot of people were intrigued by him. A lot of people were coming, and his popularity was growing, and this was a threat to Herod. This was a threat to people that were in power, thinking that, oh, someone has more influence than me. And so, Well, what do we do to eliminate any type of competition? Well, let's lock him up, and that way we'll keep him from gaining more power and more influence. And so John the Baptist, we see this humility, but yet also this boldness. To preach this message that God had called him to preach. A message of repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is coming. John, um, from his birth, even before his birth, it was prophesied. It was predicted that John would be that forerunner to prepare the hearts for the Messiah. So we talked last week about John's baptism. That it was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of people admitting that they have a, 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 a need of a savior, of a Messiah. That their sin is keeping them from a holy and righteous God. And so John's preaching this message of repentance. John is baptizing people, signifying that they are repenting of their sin in preparation for the Messiah that's coming. And so now we pick up in verse 21. It says, now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, thou art my beloved son in thee. I am well pleased. So Jesus is coming now on the scene. John's baptizing people, and there's huge crowds coming to John to be baptized. Well, now Jesus comes, and Jesus is coming to be baptized of John. And when we piece all of the four Gospels together, it sheds even more light than Luke tells us. And, and we see that that John, once he identifies, okay, this is, is Jesus. Yes, they were related, but they probably crossed paths very few times they lived in different regions in different areas and travel well it was a lot more challenging and difficult than it is for you and I it's not hard for us to jump in the car jump on a plane and go see family but for them it would have been much different so it's not unreasonable to to think that John and Jesus probably very rarely would have crossed paths well jesus now is coming to be baptized of john and when john identifies that this is jesus john is once again taking this approach of humility saying i i'm not worthy to baptize you i need this needs to be the other way around i need to be baptized of you jesus and and so jesus tells john and we know this from the gospel of john where jesus tells john that this is necessary to fulfill all righteousness And so we ask ourselves this question, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Have you thought about that? Like, why did Jesus need to be baptized? What was the point? I mean, after all, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Jesus was the sinless son of God and he had no sin. Now, some people suggest that well, Jesus he he wasn't without sin until this baptism. It was at the point of this baptism where then that's when that's when Jesus was going to live sinless from that point on. Well, we know that's not true. The scripture clearly talks about even the angel saying the holy child and, 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 and even predicted that he would be the sinless son of God, not at the point of his baptism, but that he would always be sinless. That he was, yes, came in, in, in the incarnation as a man, but he never ceased to be God. He was truly God and truly man. And so that's easy to refute that. No, Jesus was was never a sinner at any point in his life he was the sinless son of God. Others have suggested well Jesus' baptism um, was his, his way of identifying with sinners now that's a possibility. Jesus was not a sinner, but he was in his baptism he was identifying with sinners after all, Jesus died between two criminals. Wouldn't it be feasible to think Jesus at his baptism is identifying with us as sinners or with people as sinners, not saying he sinned, but he's coming and and he would be the he he would as 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 Corinthians puts it that he who knew no sin became sin. Not that he sinned, but he took our sin. He our sin was placed upon him at the cross, and maybe this is symbolic. And you know that it's a possibility. Others have suggested, well, Jesus is baptized of john the baptist this is him identifying with john's message almost vindicating the ministry of john and and authenticating the message of john who's preaching repentance another possibility but i think the gospel of john clearly tells us that jesus was baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness that this righteous work of baptism was not because Jesus was a sinner and that he needed somehow this cleansing or he needed somehow that he was admitting in any way that he was a sinner. But remember, Jesus' sinless life, it wasn't just that he didn't do sinful things. He also fulfilled every righteous work. And Jesus being baptized, this was something that God... Was wanting at this time for people in order to prepare their hearts for the Messiah to be baptized, this baptism of repentance to prepare their hearts to receive the Messiah. And I think John in his gospel tells us clearly that Jesus was baptized in order to fulfill all Righteousness. So there's a lot of different possibilities of why he was baptized, but we know without any doubt it wasn't because he was a sinner needing any type of somehow ceremonial cleansing or symbolic cleansing of preparing his heart. Jesus was God from the beginning without sin. And we are going to see now when Jesus is baptized that the father, God, the father and God, the spirit are present at this very moment, affirming and confirming that Jesus is who he claims to be. So Jesus is is coming. He's baptized of John. Finally, John's convinced to baptize Jesus. And at Jesus' baptism, now keep in mind, there's hundreds of people being baptized. There wouldn't necessarily be anything to identify that, okay, there's something significant about jesus coming and being baptized most of the people there probably would have no idea who jesus was until he is in the water and as he's being baptized it says that jesus being baptized he was praying you see this this continuous harmonious relationship that jesus had with the father with the spirit And now Jesus is being baptized and upon his baptism, the Bible tells us this, that the heaven was opened. The Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him and a voice from heaven, which said, thou art my beloved son. In thee, I am well pleased. So this is a miraculous event This is something now where everyone witnessing this and everyone around is seeing there's something different about this baptism. The heaven opened. The Spirit is descending in a bodily shape. It tells us like a a dove would would fly down or descend. And then there's the voice of the Father. So you have all three, the, the Father, Son, and Spirit, all three present at the same time. At the same moment. Now, once again, we, we need to understand that, that God, there's one God, but yet there's three distinct persons in that Godhead. There was an ancient heresy, Sibelianism. We probably know it as modalism that teaches that, that there's only one person, that God is one person but he comes in different modes at different times. He wears different masks. And sometimes God is presented as the Father. And sometimes he comes as the Son. Sometimes he comes as the Spirit. Well, there are several passages that absolutely refute that false teaching. And this is one of them. Because you have all three at the same time the Trinity, the, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus is being baptized and praying. The spirit of God is descending down. The voice from heaven, the father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So you have, yes, one God, but yet there is three distinct separate persons in that Godhead. When we were talking about. Jesus' dual nature a few weeks ago about how he was truly God and truly man. And we talked about a little bit about the Trinity, how that the challenge for us is that we don't have a human analogy to compare it to. And so it's hard for these small, finite brains to wrap our head around something like that. Father, Son, and Spirit, one God but three persons. But yet it's important that we understand that is a biblical teaching. That it is truly one God, but yet there's three distinct persons within that trinity that are co-equal in power, the Father, Son, and Spirit. But yet when Jesus took on human flesh, when he became a man, he never stopped being God, but he purposely, intentionally didn't always appeal to those powers that He had, and he relied upon the Father for for wisdom. He relied upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see here now at his baptism... The the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. The spirit of God descending upon him as as a way of anointing him now for this ministry that he's about to begin. He never, there was never a time when Jesus didn't have that communion and harmony and unity with the spirit, with the father. But this is a powerful moment where Jesus is now going to begin his earthly ministry. And he's going To accomplish what the Father has sent him to do. He's going to accomplish what the Father, Son, and Spirit for all of eternity had planned. To come, to live a perfect, righteous life without sin. To go to the cross, to die for the sins of the world. For your sin, for my sin. To redeem all those that would believe. And yet Jesus Christ, who was fully God, took on human flesh, was wrapped in human flesh. And we see here clearly, okay, Jesus, he is the son of God. He is the son of God who's come to accomplish the will of his father. But now Luke's going to end the chapter in giving us this genealogy. And so what Luke is contrasting here is, okay, he is truly God, but look, he's truly man. He came into this world, into his creation, and he was a man. And so what is Luke going to do? Luke's going to give us a genealogy. You thought we were done with the genealogies after we got through Nehemiah. Well, we're back, and we have a list of, of names and And I think that it's important to see what does this mean? What does this list of names mean to us? What was Luke's point in giving us this genealogy, in giving the the genealogy listed here of all of these names of how the um, the earthly line of the Messiah came to be? So let's go ahead and read these. All right, let me know if I mispronounce any. And Jesus himself... Began to be about thirty years of age, so Jesus is beginning now this earthly ministry at around thirty years old, and it says that he was the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, which was the son of of which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Melchi, which was the son of Janna, which was the son of Joseph, which was the son of of Mattathias, which was the son of Amos, which was the son of Nahum, which was the son of Esli, which was the son of of Nagi, which was the son of Maath, which was the son of Matthias, which was the son of Semei, which was the son of Joseph, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Joanan, which was the son of Rasha, which was the son of Zerubbabel, which was the son of Shalathiel, which was the son of Neri, which was the son of Melchi, which was the son of Adi, which was the son of Kosam, which was the son of Elmodom, which was the son of Ur, which was the son. Of Jose, which was the son of Eliezer, which was the son of Joram, which was the son of Mathat, which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Simeon, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Joseph, which was the son of Jonah, which was the son of Eliakim, which was the son of Malia, which was the son of Menan, which was the son of Matatatho, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David, which was the son of Jesse. Which was the son of Obed, which was the son of Boaz, which was the son of Solomon, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of Aminadab, which was the son of Aram, which was the son of Esram, which was the son of Phares, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Jacob, which was the son of Isaac, which was the son of Abraham, which was the son of Thara, which was the son of Nachor, which was the son of Saruk, which was the son of Regau, which was the son of Phalik, which was the son of Heber, which was the son of Salah, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Arphaxad, which was the son of Sem, which was the son of Noah, which was the son of Lamech, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Maliel, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Did I get those right? No. Thank you. So Luke's giving us this list of genealogies. Now, it's important to note that when you compare the genealogies to, like, for, say, uh, for example, Matthew's genealogy, you have some discrepancies, or what seems like a discrepancy. You have some different names. And so there's a great question of, well, why is that? Now, you've probably heard me say this Statement before and I think that it's important for us and a lot of times it has to do when it comes with different prophecies how that you know, sometimes we can get Burdened with thinking we have to defend things that we really don't need to defend and So I think here where people try to say well see there's this great big contradiction because Matthew lists different names in different order than say Luke does And I think that that's one of those things where it's not really something we need to get really worked up with and try to have to defend something that doesn't really need to be defended. There's multiple possibilities for why some of those names um, don't line up exactly. One is perhaps that one is focusing on the line of Joseph. One is focusing on the line of, of Mary. And Joseph, though he wasn't Jesus true father because jesus was born of a virgin yet jesus was that or joseph was that earthly father figure i think that um, a better possibility is that these names these lists aren't necessarily intended uh, to be a complete list but like for example matthew it seems like it's more of a summary not everyone is particularly mentioned Another possibility is that some of these lists, they included the names of those who were adopted into a family. Right at this time, the, the mortality rate would be very, very high at a much younger age. And so what would happen a lot of times would be people were adopted into a family. Um, and that was really for survival. They were adopted into a certain family. And so some of the list may be uh, more of, of including some of those that were adopted into that family line. But here's the question that we have. Who cares about genealogies? Like, what what does this mean? Why is, is Luke and why are the other gospel writers, why is it, why does it even matter? What do these names mean to us? What do these genealogies tell us? Well, I think they tell us several things, right? Of course, Luke is showing Jesus, yes, is the son of God. But Jesus is also the son of man that he took on human flesh. He was born. Um, into this world born of a virgin born of mary and yet he lived for 33 years and and luke's showing us that jesus is yes truly god but truly man but i think we see some overall some big picture things here in this list of genealogies and the first thing is this that we see that god is faithful to work from one generation to the next like you look at these names you look at these families you look at these different this this lineage here and you see this common overall theme and that is this that that god was faithful to work from one generation to the next that god's will and god's purposes and god's work was consistent through every generation that when you and i are gone when you and I are in heaven and we are forgotten here. That yet God's work will continue to move forward. That God will continue to be faithful to work in the lives of your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and for perhaps many more generations to come if the Lord does not return before that. And you see in this list that God was faithful to work in every generation. I think secondly is this. Don't underestimate the legacy and the influence that you can have on generations to come. See, we see out of these people, we see both good and bad. We see both good and bad from the same people. And yet what we're reminded is this. That God... To accomplish his will and his purpose, he works through broken and flawed people. Like how many of you are, are, are reading through the Bible this year? Several of you. Wonderful. So you've gotten through Genesis. You've seen some really good things. Some really faithful people. And you have seen some really disappointing and ugly things from those same people. But yet God's mission and God's plan is not going to be thwarted. It's not going to be hindered. It's not going to be stopped by unfaithful people. And to this day, God's plan and God's purpose is not going to be stopped and hindered through our unfaithfulness. I mean, you see this. Look at just from from this list. Abraham, a man of great faith. Well, for some of the time. You know, but Abraham also doubted God, slept with another woman because he didn't trust God's plan. Uh, And then he gave his wife away uh, because he was a coward and afraid of, of what might happen. Yeah, that's Abraham. Oh, a man of great faith. Yeah, kind of. But there's also some glaring flaws. How about Jacob? Abraham's grandson. Jacob, we see that he was a cheater, a liar, a thief. Like, if you, if you go and read through the account of, of Jacob's life in Genesis, I mean, some of the things you, you, you read, it's really, it's not going to be a dinner conversation with your kids. Like, I mean, some of the things they did were like, whoa, this, he did this? He's one of the patriarchs. And yet... We see that God used him in a powerful way, even though he was a deceiver. He was a thief. He was a liar. How about Judah? Judah's mentioned. Oh, well, Judah at one point traded slaves and enjoyed prostitutes. Yeah, Judah. Part of this lineage, part of this line. David, an adulterer and murderer. But yet God used him. How about Noah? Oh, faith like, you know, faith like Noah. Have you seen the t-shirt? Faith like Noah. Yeah, the end of his life wasn't so great though. In fact, it was pretty bad. And what we see is this, that God accomplishes will and his purpose and his plan through broken and flawed sinners. Now, I don't know about you. I take comfort in that. I mean, it kind of makes me feel like, okay, I'm insignificant and, and, and I've got a lot of failures and flaws. But you know what? I can still be used by God to accomplish his will and his purpose in my life and do what God's called me to do. I find great comfort in that. Now, please don't misunderstand this. This doesn't mean that it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that, I mean, last week we talked about that importance of that word repentance, right? Repentance. That's the opposite of just being reckless and living however you want and not caring about, about what you do. Like that's not a, that's not a true sign of someone that knows the Lord and has a changed heart before God. So this isn't a message to like, oh, just go and sin and do whatever you want because after all, God will use you. Well, that was apparently brought up to the apostle Paul because He was saying, should we just go ahead and continue in sin because we have grace? And his response was, God forbid. That's not why you've been given grace. And so that doesn't mean it doesn't matter how you live. But the point is that we're not faithful. The point is we're flawed. We're broken. That we come before God having nothing to offer but our brokenness and our willingness to follow him and serve him. And yet God takes our brokenness. And uses it for his glory. He takes the absolute mess we make of things. And he turns it into a beautiful message for his purposes, for his glory. He takes our flaws and our failures, our shortcomings, our sin, our rebellion. He takes those things and yet God makes something beautiful out of it. Ultimately for his purpose and for his glory. And I wonder today maybe... If you're here and you've been wrestling a lot with just shame and guilt. Maybe you've had people that will never let you forget certain things. Certain seasons of your life that you're not proud of. Certain things. Maybe it was before you were even a Christian. Maybe it was after you knew the Lord. But you still, you did some things that you're not proud of. But here's the thing. If you have a heart that's repentant. If you have If you have come clean about those things, if you've been honest with God and with others about those things, the beautiful, glorious message that we see in this is that God uses broken people. And the good news is that's every one of us. And yet God can take that brokenness and God uses it for his will. That God's plan's not going to be stopped based upon your and mine my failures, that God will work through those things in spite of those things. And it doesn't mean that we don't face consequences here in this life, that there's certain things that maybe because of decisions we've made, we still live to this day with some of those consequences. And I honestly believe part of repentance is being willing to accept those consequences that we have to live with and deal with. But make no mistake about it. That God uses broken and flawed people. God will use the people that don't have it all together. God will use the people that fail, that fall. And here's the thing, that's all of us. That's all of us, if we're being honest. You look at even in the New Testament, the people that God used. You look at the disciples, it's like, man, you see times, yes, after the resurrection, they had great boldness and great faith, but at other times, like, these guys are dummies, like they don't get it. And yet we can relate to that. Like I'm not calling you a dummy. I'm just saying like, look, we, like them, we, we fail God. We let God down. We, we're, we're not always as smart and we're not always as gifted. We're not always as good as we think that we are. And yet God will take that. God will take that brokenness. God will take that in He'll use it for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen. God will use us. God will use you. God will use me to accomplish his will. So maybe you've got, maybe you've had a rough life up to this point. Maybe you've got some things, to be honest, that you're really not proud of. There's chapters of your life. There's seasons of your life that you wish you could go back and change. But here's the thing. If you will truly come clean with those things and truly repent and admit and acknowledge that God will take all of those circumstances and he'll actually use it to accomplish his will and his purpose. And it will even be used in a way that you probably have no idea now how God will use that. But as we read this list of people and see, this was part of the problem with the Jews. They Took a lot of pride in their ancestors and in their heritage. and you know. But you, you look at their ancestors, it's like, man, it's not really a whole lot to brag about. In fact, there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of things that are really not something to be proud of. And maybe that's your life. Maybe that's my life at certain seasons. And yet what we see is that God's faithfulness continues from generation to generation, that God works through broken, flawed people. People that will turn to him, people that will repent of sin, people that will be humble to be used by God. And this is what we see in this list of genealogies. And this is encouraging that this brings hope that no matter what failures you've had in life, that You can repent and you can experience God's God's redemption. Yes, for your soul in being saved and having a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But also in our service for God. That God can take the grief, the sorrow, the pain, the sin, the failures, the mistakes. All of those things. And God can actually turn that around and use it for his name to be glorified and for his purpose to be accomplished. Let's pray.